In a not-so-stable world, it is crucial to amplify the right message. At the Stream Grace Network, our goal is to do just that. We are adding to our stable of podcasters every month, and we are growing. This is where you come in. We want to share in that growth. If you are a small business owner looking to grow your business, we'd love it if you'd consider allowing one of our podcasters to endorse you, your products, or services. The best part is that endorsement will never stop running in any episode it is a part of, ever. This is a unique and rare benefit in digital advertising. We want everything we do to be uplifting and to encourage positive growth. And we'd love to partner with you. For more information, visit us online at StreamGrace.com or email us at support at StreamGrace.com. God bless. Hello and welcome to my corner of the digital universe. Prepare to dive deep, get real, get close, and find out entirely too much about people you likely don't even know. I am Jeremy Griffin, and these are my conversations. So grab a coffee and get comfortable, because here we go. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Yes, you are listening to Stream Grace Network, and we want to thank you very much for joining us today on Conversations, episode 18, I think. I never know the math, but that's okay. Uh, today's podcast is brought to us again by The Joyful Bean. It is, uh, if you'd like Jamaica Blue Co- Mountain Coffee, this is one of the few places you can actually get the real stuff, and uh, if you don't like it, then there's something wrong with you. So that's just, you know, we'll talk about it later. Um yeah, so if you go to thejoyfulbean.com, you can get it in K-cups, you can get it in beans, you can get it ground, any way you like it. And everybody has got to love a good cup of joe. Uh, if you go there and you have a chance to enter some notes somewhere, please tell them that I sent you. I don't know why. Maybe it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Um, yeah, so anyway, today uh, my guest is joining me remotely, and uh, it's somebody who... I literally have never met until uh, six seconds ago, Mr. Adam Jones. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. Um, so, so this is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, Adam and I, we connected like literally five minutes ago to make sure we could connect. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, on, for those of you who are uninitiated, the Conversations podcast is all about just having a conversation. And uh, um, Adam came recommended to me from a mutual friend of ours, Shadrach Black, a great dude. I met him through playing paintball, and uh, then we talked about God a lot, so that was pretty awesome. (laughs) And so, uh, Adam, as I understand it, you are a worship pastor. Is that accurate? Yes, I'm a worship pastor. Um, I'm I'm near Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Uh, Georgia. About about 15 to 20 minutes out from Atlanta. Okay, there you go. So, uh, have you been there your whole life? No, we've been at this church for... um, a uh, little over two and a half years now. Okay. Uh, I'm originally from Western New York. Oh, all right. So, so I spent the first 20 years of my life there and I moved to Nashville and I went to Belmont University and got my uh, my undergrad degree in audio video production. And while I was doing that, uh, the whole world changed and went digital. And so it's basically a useless degree. <laughs> right. What are you going to do? That's okay. Uh, and then um, a few years later, I went to Southern Seminary. 
in Louisville, Kentucky, and that's where I met Shadrach. And uh, I've uh, I've always said that he's <laughs> I've always said that he's the worst missionary I've ever met. <laughs> and he lovingly accepts that uh, title. Yeah. So, but we're just we just we have a fun we have a fun time we have a good relationship. I love Shadrach. And yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I uh, met him there, and then I finished my degree in worship there. And I went to uh, a, a little town called Danville, Kentucky, and that was the first church that I pastored at full-time. And then uh, after about four and a half years or so, uh, my wife and I, we met online, actually, on eHarmony. So oh, cool. cool. Uh, we got married. She was there for another year or so with me there in Kentucky, and then we moved to California. And we were at a church in California for about a year and a half. Uh, and then we moved back um to Nashville, we were in, in the process. We had uh, we had one kid, and then we suddenly had twins on the way. Oh, wow. So we moved to Nashville with twins on the way, and uh, the twins were born um, four months early, and so that was just pure chaos. Wow! Yeah, and, man. Uh, so then we um, so while we were when we had the twins, um, they uh, they were in the NICU for like 105 days. The one was the other one actually lived for about three weeks, and she passed. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, she had kidney failure, and it was just the thing that we didn't see coming. Mm. Uh, but that that happened, and it, it was devastating. And and it, God really used it to kind of uh, ground us in a lot of ways, and, and humble us, and show us His grace and, and His love and His mercy in a lot of ways. And and then uh, 13 months later, another set of twin boys came along. Wow! So so one girl, and then twin girls, and twin boys. So in two and a half years, we had five kids. Well, that's easy. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we were um, we were out of the ministry for those two years or so that we were in Nashville, and then we got called to this church. So we came down here. We've been here since then. Wow! Everybody got that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> here we go. Start again. Yeah, no, that's good. That, that's awesome, man. Um, I uh, I always said you know about Shadrach Black. Every time I I've, I talk about him a lot to different people, and when I do, I always have to say he's got the coolest name in the world. <laughs> I, I just so. it, it just it feels like. On one hand, it it's very biblical, you know, feeling, and then on the other hand, it's like straight out of Harry Potter. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so is so is Shad, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I like him a lot. I well, like him a lot. Well, man, I uh, there is a lot there. Goodness gracious. Um, so I don't well, let, want. So let me add this real quick before you go any further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So about three weeks ago, I was also diagnosed with kidney cancer on both of my kidneys. Oh my so gosh, man. We got a lot of things happening. Uh, it's, it's crazy, but God is in control and God has been very good to us. Wow. Um, so, so that's kind of my context, I guess, uh, kind of some of the journey we've been on. Yeah. And trying to live it a day at a time, you know? Yeah. Well, man, I, I appreciate you doing this and I, and I, I obviously your attitude and your heart towards everything is, uh, is, I shouldn't say, obviously I'm going to say stellar. Like it really is. And, and, um, you know, what I've seen so far and, and, uh, and just our brief interaction, even through texting and stuff. I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions. If you don't want to answer any of these questions, just man, just let me know. Cause you know, who knows, but, um, so let's, let's go back to the, to the loss of your daughter. Um, yep. man, what did that how, talk a little bit more about how that kind of shaped your perspective? You talked about it humbled you guys. So, so give me the before and give me the after. Uh, well, uh, as far as humility, I think, um, you know, I am, I am a, I guess, roughly middle class ish white guy. And, um, 
and I had understood the world a certain way, mm. you know, because I is we weren't we weren't like poor, but we weren't rich growing up. I mean, well, I say we weren't poor. We were we were poor enough, you know, but but uh, but we didn't. We, it didn't really shape how we lived. Like we, we had a good childhood and my brother and I had a good childhood and stuff. Um, but, but, uh, we never really had like much of a fight for anything. Like we didn't, you know, there, there wasn't any oppression in our lives. Mm. You know, there, we had a lot of advantages. And, and I think that I, I say those things because you look at the world around us now and all the crazy political things that are happening. And, um, and for me, it was very easy for me to look around at hurting people and go like, I don't understand. Why are you hurting? I don't get it. It's just, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is what everybody says. Like, just do it. Just, you know, didn't hold me down. Well, nothing, nothing was holding me down, you know, like I, I am like the majority of this country and, and, you know, that kind of, so it's like, I really didn't have a lot pushing against me. And I think, um, for us, we were in a place where we had, uh, the, the, the church we were at in, in California, we had kind of some strife with, um, it was, it was just a difficult situation. And so we found ourselves very quickly moving to Nashville with, my wife, like I said, like four and a half months or so pregnant at the time. Um, so no job or anything like that. My parents were living in Nashville at the time, so we were able to come back and kind of get some help from them. Uh, but I was working like two and three jobs to be able to pay the bills. And we were, um, you know, we were on like WIC and that kind of stuff, you know. So, I mean, it was it was difficult. Financially, it was very difficult. And, and so I think for me personally, I can't speak for my wife on it, but for me personally, I think it was very uh, eye-opening and it was very humbling and I it, it really broke uh, my heart for a lot of people that I had always been able to look at like from the outside look look in at them and go like oh well you just need to deal with it you know you need to suck it up and work harder and it mm-hmm. and, and I came to realize like I was working like three jobs and we still needed help to just keep going you know yeah. uh, so it was very humbling for me to be in that type of, of, of place just losing our daughter was just I mean You'd never wish it on anybody. I, I like never wished on an enemy ever. It was terrible, and um, and there are plenty of days where it just kind of hits you. The grief still hits you. You know, this has been uh, it's been four and a half years or so since that happened, and um, the grief just still hits you sometimes in awkward ways that you don't you don't see coming. And um, but but through her life, she had, she was alive for three weeks, and through that life. Um, she touched so many people. I mean, we had, we started a Facebook family page so we could kind of keep everybody, you know, abreast of what's going on. Right. And, uh, in the week that she died, I mean, there were like 30, I think it was 31,000 people that had been reached through that page. And, mm. and I'm like, I don't know if I've even met 31,000 people in my <laughs> life. You know, my little girl who lived for three weeks, got to, got to, to shine the light of Jesus mm. in her little three weeks of life to 31,000 people, you know, just by being a part of, of life, just being here and existing and, and God gifting us with her for as long as we had her, you know? Yeah. And, uh, mm. and those people just watched us through that struggle. Um, so we, we've just, we've done our best to try to, to walk that in a way that is, that is honest to who Christ is and God honoring, but it, it doesn't mean it's easier or a happy time, sure. you know? Um, but that's, I believe, part of, of uh, the story that God has given us yeah. to live. You know? so. Um, so, uh, was there a moment, especially early on, was there ever a moment where you were just getting real with God and saying, like, what is up here, man? Uh, we, um, you know, when we went to, so we would go visit them in the NICU each night. And so the night that she died, we went there and, 
and we we didn't know what was going on. She was perfectly fine. I mean, they were for being 24 weeks and three days gestation when they were born, like they were very healthy. And so, um, so we went in there thinking, well, we're just visiting. And a nurse came running over and was like, you need to get over here now. And we had no idea. So all of the whole night, we just sat up and, and were right there by her bedside and the doctors did all they could. And, you know, so about four o'clock the next morning, she actually passed. But that whole time, I mean, we're right there next to her and, and, and I'm going, I'm very real going, God, like, take me. It's okay. Like I'm, mm. I've lived 30 something years and that's fine. Like, just go ahead and take me. Cause I don't want to, I, I don't want to see this happen. You know, like I can't, it's, it was, it was excruciating, you know? And it's so, I, I tell people, I, I always wanted to be able to say like, Job, well, the, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But like, I didn't want to have to go through that to be able to say it, you know? Sure, man. Um, yeah. And that's something that I, that I think that people a lot of times don't understand is like, there's a very, there's a very real, there's a very authentic, authenticity. I don't know how to say it. There's, a, there's yeah. an authenticity to Job going like, I don't know what to do about this, but God is still God and he's in control and he's still good whether I go through it or not. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, we, we read through scripture and I, it's so removed, right? I mean, even when we read, realize, realizing just the simple fact that we've got thousands of years from cover to cover. And it's, I think yeah. it's difficult for us to really put that into perspective. And, you know, we'd all love to have, um, have the lives and the, and live with the kind of character that makes us worthy to be written about. Um, but, uh, it's not, it's not easy. It's not automatic. And, um, right. you know, so, um, Man, that's just that's just a powerful thing. Would you say there's anything you know growing up in your life, like early years, that that you look back and said, "Man, if I hadn't had this as a foundation, whether it's you know beyond just a simple um, walk with Christ, but I think just you know maybe a specific thing where you thought, man, this is without this, I wouldn't have made it through.'" Uh, my, I mean, you know, my family has always been very supportive, very loving. Uh, my dad was. Uh, been a pastor for 41 years and he just actually just retired this past august mm. and so i was you know raised in this christian home and was always taught to honor god and everything and and um, at the same time like i said unless you've walked through the fire like that like you don't you can talk about it but you don't necessarily know exactly what the fire feels like and i say that i mean you know my parents have been through fires too that i don't know what it feels like you know what i mean like yeah. that, so i'm not i'm not trying to minimize how they raised us i'm just saying like you know, we all have these things we have to go through. And, and I think that, um, God is just faithful, you know, to, to us as a whole. And he's faithful to us individually. Um, I, I mean, he's, he's always shown himself as trustworthy in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what stupid things I've done or what kind of situations I've put myself in or been found in, you know, um, that God has always been faithful. And, and, and that's a thing that you don't get out of a book. You know, you don't, you don't get it from some fact sheet or some scientist or something. I mean, like when it comes down to, we try to explain our faith, it it comes down to, this is how God has revealed himself in my life individually. And I'd love to apologetic my way through this and explain to you how it only logically makes sense, but, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, the Bible talks about how it doesn't make sense. Like this, this is not a making sense thing. This is, this is the thing you live and God proves himself in your life and you go, I can't live any other way. This is what I know now and how I explain it. I'm not sure I, I explain it the best I can, but if you haven't experienced it that way, like I get it, mm-hmm. I get it. If you have a hard time understanding it, cause I do too, but I've experienced it, you know? Yeah. Golly, man. So, um, so then, you know, you get the news that you're going to have twins again. 
And did you have any concerns or doubts or anything when that news came across? Uh, I think I, mean, I can't speak for my wife, but yeah. she, I know she struggled some with it because I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not that it's not hard on dad, but it's especially hard on mom. I mean, you know, carrying those children in your body, I know it's a whole different experience. And so, um, I know she had some real struggles with it and, and it's not that I didn't either. I think that we were just kind of gun shy, you know, we were mm-hmm. like, what is going to happen now? Because we just went through this and I mean, we just prayed, prayed, prayed until I don't even, I mean, you never really stop holding your breath, you know, after, after you've lost a kid, like you never stop holding your breath if another one's coming. Mm-hmm. And even now, I mean, they're super healthy three-year-olds and I mean, we're always, I feel like we're always kind of looking around, like, is everything still good with everybody? Are we all still okay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I grew up, um, I came from a long line of warriors and, uh, I remember, you know, um, I, I had to do this funeral, uh, lead worship or play worship songs at this funeral for a baby who died at SIDS. And, um, I had smaller boys and I just remember thinking, this is brutal. Um, I mean the funerals functionally brutal, but I found myself almost waking them up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I just get these bad feelings and go in there and just want to kind of like, all right, I'm just going to kind of wake you up. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, and we're not designed to live in that kind of fear. Obviously that is not something I'm endorsing. It's just a reality, you know? So, and it's tough. Like you said, we're not designed for that, but it's really tough to break out of. I mean, I know that we are extremely, extremely just, uh, we try to stay aware. We're very protective. Um, I mean, I think that's not always a bad thing, but it, it can be if you're not careful. And so we, we try to be aware of it, mm-hmm. but, um, but it is, it's very tough to recover from you. You don't, I mean, the truth is you don't recover from the loss of a child. Right. Uh, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard, uh, somebody describe it as like a, like a box where there's a, a really big ball in it. You've probably heard this before. And you know, over time, the ball starts to shrink, but is it in the box? It still bounces around and it hits the sides of the, of, of the box. And that's, that's the case. Like it might, it might shrink in some ways as time goes on, mm-hmm. but we still have days where that ball hits the side of the box and you just go, Oh man, like you just get devastated all over again. You yeah, know? So, man. So, um, <laughs> let's lighten up a little bit for a moment. Yeah, for sure, sure. <laughs> so Sorry, why don't, no, it's, it's good. I just, um, I think, well, okay, let me just say this too. This is not a critique at all. I think, um, you know, our listeners, I think get a lot out of this. You know, our, our goal is that people can relate to other people. You know, the reason I even say it's, you're going to hear about things from people that you don't know, you know, um, my listeners in general won't know who you are and, and, uh, people who listen to this that are friends of yours, they don't know who I am, but I think that, um, there's such value. I, I think people, um, are so underestimated as a group. We're so fixated on, on the, uh, YouTube stars and, and people living in this world that, you know, in my opinion, the majority of the folks I've seen, and granted, I'm I'm just catching it as I walk through a living room and a kid's watching something. But I'm like, man, can you say something of any kind of real merit or value? <laughs> you know, and I think uh, you know, being able to share these stories gives people hope, and uh, uh, and I appreciate you being open and candid about those things. I think that's it's super important. You know, our our network is all about authenticity, and so. Uh, you know, I, I hear that in your voice and I greatly appreciate it. And I do, I just want to remind those listening right now, uh, it's the first time you and I've had a chance to talk. And so I think, um, everything you're here and I'm hearing too for the first time. So I think that's, uh, it's awesome. And I appreciate who you are already. Um, I want to talk about how you grew up a little bit and, uh, 
the way I, I heard you lay it out, it, it made it sound like you probably you grew up in church, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so was there a moment that you can recall uh, where you, you thought, man, I'm like your real conversion experience. Like, mm-hmm. I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm I want to, I love Jesus. Like, I, I know this guy. I want to dive deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I, since my dad was a pastor, I mean, I sat, I, mean, I was born in the church. I mean, really, like I was there all the time. Like I, I, if the church was open, I was there in the church. When the church wasn't open, I was there a lot of the time too. Yeah. Um, I was about nine when I came to Christ and for me at nine years old, it was, it was largely about like, whoa, I've sinned like this. What is the sin thing? Like, this sounds really bad. I, I don't want that. Like I'm, I'm a sinner apparently. And that's awful. And I don't want to be that. And I, so, so for me, it was just trying to comprehend the world through this new lens of like this, this thought of sin, like what is sin? And if that's what I'm doing, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. And it's going to send me to hell. I don't want that. And so, you know, in, in those, I think in the early years like that, it's really hard. To, well, first of all, none of us comprehend it, but it's really hard to comprehend who God really is. You largely hear like, well, there's a really bad place and you don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. So of course I don't want to go there. Yes. If I'm, I, yes, I want Jesus. I don't want to go there. That sounds awful. And so I think that's kind of like how we do our elections now too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We vote for what we don't want. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't want that. That's horrible. You know? So, um, so for, for me, I I do feel like at a young age, you oftentimes are encountering that because we just don't know you, you're not well read at nine years old, you know, like you're not, you haven't met a lot of people or experienced a lot of things. And so I wouldn't call it not a conversion experience, but um, you know, I think that was kind of the beginning of, of sanctification, I guess you want to call it for me, you know, yeah. the beginning of, of all of that. And so as I got older and was more able to do really dumb things and learn from them and, um, you know, read God's word and just draw nearer to him, uh, it became more real to me. You know, you get like at college again, doing dumb things. Cause now you have a whole new level of dumb things you can do in college, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and so collegiate you know, level dumb people. things, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and God becomes more real. Honestly, I went to my first year, I immediately from high school went to this private Christian college. And and, I, and it's not like I went buck wild or anything, but like I didn't go to church, but maybe twice that year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I grew up in my dad's house and his, you know, like I was, the son, I was there every single time the doors were open at the church at home. But it was like, I just went, hey, I'm on my own. I can do what I want. And seriously, I went to church like twice that, that year. Hey, let's pause and, there because I want to address that. It's one of yeah. the things that, that, um, is is dear to my heart is is trying to find a way to to not lose young adults and so i want to i want to ask you what what do you think for you and i mean specifically made you go you know what i'm not going to go to church like what kept you away from church right after that so uh and i have a theory on why we've lost those people that i'd love to talk about at some point yeah i think for me I was just like, I've got freedom. I'm out of the house. Like my parents can't make me go to church. I can stay in my bed if I want. I can get up and do whatever everybody else does. Uh, I've never experienced that before. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about going out and partying. I'm saying sleep in the bed Sunday morning and get up and do what I want. Like that doesn't sound that bad, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I guess there was a part of me that wanted to just do that for a while and see what that was like. And, um, and, and I think that I didn't have in that place, like a, a big, uh, group of friends that were really strong in the faith that would kind of help me along to, to want to get up every Sunday morning and go to church or, or any of that. And so it was just a, a whole different experience for me in life. I was, I was at a different place and I had a different kind of freedom all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I was trying to figure that out. Gotcha. So we'll come back to, I, I want to get into your theory, but I'll let you finish this, this little portion here. So, uh, to get to that moment where something changed for you. Uh, so that year in college, I finished, uh, I finished that year with like a 1.8. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> and, um, and that's just, like I said, it was just the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And I, I was just so extremely immature and I didn't realize how immature I was. And so my parents were like, yeah, we're not doing that again. You can come home where it's basically free at community college. You can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And it was, it, that was a very humbling experience for me. I, um, you know, coming out of high school, I'm like, well, that's 13th grade over there. I don't want to go to the community college. Like I don't, everybody's going to be there. I don't want to do, I want to go to like a big school, you know, I want to go the the prestigious, you know, some private college or something cool like that. And so um, coming back, it was very humbling. I did not want it at all. And, um, and I probably learned the most in my education, but also really in life in that year that I came back to the junior college. Um, I mean, God just, in just my life circumstances, God used that to, like I said, to humble me and to educate me and to, I think, mature me and prepare me for things ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I, since high school, I wanted to go to Belmont in Nashville. I wanted to go there. I was, I'm a musician. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, so I had been auditioning for, for those two years and I kept, I kept, like, they kept passing on me. They're like, no, you don't, you don't have any, any of the, the, the blues or jazz experience. So we, we don't, we'd have to start from square one with you. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. So, um, so finally at the end of my junior college year, I, I was just like, I'm going to go there. So I just changed my major. I'm like, I'm going there. I know that God wants me there for some reason. And so I'm going to go there. And so that's, that was kind of how that happened. Wow. Um, so I just changed my major and just went anyway. There you go, man. <laughs> Um, so, all right. So, so, uh, let's go ahead and back up. So talk to me about why you think we're losing, uh, young adults. Okay. So here's my theory on this. I think we're losing young adults because the investment in them is not one that we, uh, see returns from. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You go, you go off to college and we never see you again. So why would we put our time and our effort and our money and, and our heart and everything else into cultivating you when you're just going to go somewhere else in life and not be here anymore. Yeah. And I think the church does that a lot of times. I mean, and the reason why I say that is because I think we see it in how much we actually invest in helping the poor and the needy and all those folks that we know we'll never get anything back from. Mm-hmm. The Bible says to do that, but we, we don't want to because we, we're supposed to get return on our investment, right? Like that's, yeah. that's what we think. Yeah. And so why would we dump our resources and our efforts and all that in our heart and whole thing into people we'll never see again? And mm-hmm. I, I'm afraid that's the mindset we have. And then we go, all right, bye. And then we get upset when they never return to the church. Right. Yeah. Cause we, we find the return. If, if the return happens, it's after they start having a family and there's a level of, well, I better do this. It almost becomes obligatory versus yeah. desire, you know? Um, man, I, I agree. I agree with that. I, I haven't really thought through it like that, but one of the things you touched on earlier, you know, you talked about coming to Christ at nine years old and your avoidance, you know, the thought process there of avoiding hell versus, um, you know, being so attracted to Jesus that that was the only thing that you could think of, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and so I, I kind of live in this realm. I, I, you know, working, I've worked with, with the young adults and I've worked with, uh, um, high schoolers and junior hires, uh, junior hires. I don't know if that's a thing, but anyway, <laughs> um, I've worked with them over the years. And I think the thing that I've found is, you know, go back to that process you talked about when you're nine years old. I mean, the reality is, is that um, God for us is an abstract concept, right? I mean, he's not sensual. We don't physically touch God. We don't smell. We don't see. It's an abstract concept. And we're asking 
kids um, to understand an abstract concept. I mean, no more than a nine-year-old who would come to us and say, I met my wife. We wouldn't, we wouldn't accept that. We would think, well, that's crazy. Um, but we expect them to start having a relationship with God without fully having developed um, emotions and understanding the, the, uh, the abstract. And I think too, to kind of add to that is, you know, in kids church, I, as a worship leader, one of my most frustrating things is that, you know, in kids church, they teach, teach the kids to literally go through motions. Like here's the motion to this song and here's the motion to that song. And so we're training them to go through the motions of Christianity versus having a real understanding. And I'm of the belief system that, that when you get with uh, the junior high age and as they grow up, when you begin to teach them who Jesus is and what he's done factually, right? So, so not even specifically in their life that they can point to, but just as you know, we go through biblical stories in the life of Jesus and we see what Jesus did that as they grow, grow up, I think we need to, to uh, phase them into a really, uh, a real heartfelt worship. Cause I think worship to be heartfelt is a response and an acknowledgement of what God's done in your life. Other than that, you're just singing songs with everybody else. But when you truly understand what God's done in your life and who he is, then worship becomes that response. Well, as you know, if, if you look at youth ministry, you, you can see that the ninth graders and 10th graders who come in are, you know, kind of dabbling and some of them, you know, may be really into worship, but for the most part, they're just, you know, looking around and, okay, we're supposed to sing here or clap or raise your hands or whatever. But as they get older, you find the ones that are like really connecting, but those kids are often more mature emotionally too. And you see that. And and I say more mature, maybe more developed. Cause I also think the super emotionally charged teenagers also can be really into worshiping the Lord and, and getting that because they're just really emotional. And like they, they don't know how to govern some of that. But, yeah. but to me, I think if you marry those two thoughts, you, you take what, what I just said and you take what you said, this lack of investment and I, and man, it's, it's incredibly evident. I totally agree with you on that. Of course, we're losing them because what from their vantage point, they see fakeness and fraudulence. And that's not that's not attractive. Every human wants authenticity, every single one. And and so uh, when they see that, even if it's and the thing is, it's how they perceive it. it. We you know, the people that are speaking in their lives could very well be incredibly authentic and real. But the pathway that's brought them there is just full of um going through the motions, like I said. So. Yeah, it absolutely is. I, you know, and, and worship is, is such a, um, a transparent thing. You're either fake or you're not. Right. Like you're either, you can't be, you're you can't be in the middle. <laughs> you know, so, so when I, and again, and honestly, Nashville is kind of my town, right? Like that's where my heart, I, I've always loved Nashville and I've always wanted to be there. And so I've lived there a few times now. Uh, the last time that we were there, I worked at the Bluebird Cafe. It's like this really big songwriter, like Mecca yeah, there. I'm Nashville. aware of that one. Yeah. So I was there for a couple of years and I, and those are my people. They're my family. I love those folks. Uh, Garth Brooks came, he was discovered there. He mm. came one night. And so I got to meet him, which was really cool. I've always said that Garth Brooks is the greatest worship leader I have ever seen. Mm. He is not is not worshiping God, but he is the most phenomenal worship leader. Everybody, well, it doesn't matter if it's a football stadium or they're in that little room. You are in it. You are just like he, he's up there, like crying and laughing, and you're crying and laughing in your seat. You're like, I don't even know why. Like I'm singing every word. Like he's having a great time. I'm having a great time. I mean, he sucks you right in, and you're worshiping something. You don't even know what's yeah. going on. It's because he's you're authentic. Just, you're engaged, yeah, and he's authentic, and so. 
honestly, that's the way that worship is. You're either real or you're fake. There's really, there's not a lukewarm there. There's not. And so, and I think, you know, with young people, especially like they feel that. And you now it's also a weird time. So you look around and you go like, I don't want anybody to look at me. I mean, why is everybody looking at me? And, and so you already have this sort of self-consciousness as a young person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it makes it even harder. Um, and, and they're just, they're underdeveloped. So like they're, they're getting all these things that we're, we're giving them or dumping on them, um, you know, train the child up in a way they should go, right? Like we're supposed to do that training. Yes, that's true. Training, when we were talking about the believers, right? Mm-hmm. The believers are supposed to train up the children the way they should go. But we also, I think, hold them to a standard that's a Christian standard that their heart is not ready for yet. You know what I mean? Like they're, they, if they are not bought by the blood of Christ yet, they don't have the, the concept. Like they, they might hear the words and they see our actions. But the spirit's not moving in their heart in that in that way that that we know is supposed to happen, or we think is supposed to happen. You know, right? We that that was our experience. Right. And so, because the spirit's not there yet, not not indwelling like that yet, they're not they're not using the same scale we are. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think a lot of times we we take people, whether they're young or older, or whoever, and we hold them. They're not believers. We hold them to a believer scale, and that's wrong. Yeah. We can't do that to people. Now it doesn't mean we don't. It doesn't mean that we don't treat them in a Christ-like way and in model. Christ in front of them and try to teach them well, but in love and compassion and all that stuff. But but I think oftentimes we just lose it because we try to we try to cram them in this Christian box like this. This is the Christian standard. You have to do this, and it it doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. Right? There's zero cookie cutter relationships in the kingdom of God. (laughs) They're incredibly unique and personal. Yeah, you'll never legislate somebody into God's kingdom. You can never twist their arm hard enough to change their heart. It doesn't matter. There's no magical words or recipe. It just doesn't happen that way. And I think we get so wound up in our Christian bubble. A lot of times, we we tend to we um, insulate ourselves from the lost world. We, for me, working at the Bluebird Cafe was fantastic because I got to be around people that I knew were not believers, yeah. and they were so loving. Honestly, they were more loving than a lot of church people. Man. They were more accepting than a lot of church people I'd met. Right. And I still, to this day, I hear from them all the time, folks that I know are not believers. It, you know, I've, this this cancer diagnosis I've got, they, they've all reached out to me in so many ways. Folks that, I mean, I've got a buddy who's like, I am this nihilist uh, atheist. Like, I don't believe in any of that mess. But we've had fantastic conversations, and he is so kind and so loving. And I, I feel like if I can't use this to try to help uh, him see Jesus better, Man, I've, I've missed it. You what, do you, know? what do you think's happening uh, in Christendom that causes that? I totally agree with you. I have this, a very similar experience at different points in my life. I went to work. I was on sabbatical. I worked for iHeartRadio, uh, the local radio station clusters in Oklahoma City. And um, I found, man, that was it was eye-opening because I went into ministry full-time at 19. So my whole professional career was working at a church. And so when I got out of that and went to work at a radio station – it was it wasn't culture shock because I I mean I knew what I was getting into but uh, I the the big thing that stuck out to me was these relationships because I always lived in this world of secular and sacred like I was in a sacred place and they're secular and the secular people they they're cutthroat they hate each other they're gonna do anything and no these these folks one there's plenty yeah. of Christians there <laughs> you know yeah. and 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 beyond that even the ones that didn't know Jesus. Um, just as you said, man, they they had a legitimate concern for me, and and I think you know it contrasted against the experiences that that I'd had over the years. Not all of my experiences, of course, were negative, but the negative ones. You look at those, and you're like, wow. So this person's a believer. They love Jesus, and this is how they're responding to circumstances in my life. And then you 
again, compare and contrast that with somebody who doesn't profess any kind of relationship with God, and they definitely went out and caring about me more than themselves. And so, what, what, you know, how, how do you see, how do you explain what's happened there? You know, so the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? So if you have the Spirit, you know what another person who has the Spirit looks like and sounds like and acts like and thinks like and talks like. Like, you know that because mm-hmm. we got the fruit of the Spirit. So we have these we have these family character traits that we see in each other, right? I mean, that's where the family. So we, we all kind of look alike. And when you don't see those, you go like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I know you're saying all this nice stuff about Jesus and everything, but, man, I don't see you. You're not very patient. You're not very kind. You're not very gentle. You're not very, you know, like you can start rattling it off. And, and, and I'm not saying we don't have a problem. We all have our problems, right? We've, we've all got our, we've all got our character flaws. There are moments where I'm not patient. There are moments where I'm not kind. There are mo- it's true. But if I'm not trying to be that all the time, that's a problem, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm supposed to be trying to be that. And we see, I think we see David, right? Where David uh, has, he takes a guy's wife and then he got, gets the guy killed. And then God's going, he's a man after my own heart. And we're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How is he a man after your own heart? What you know what he did better than we do. Yeah. But you see that David, no matter how messed up he is, he's always rushing back to God. He he knows he needs to be going back to God in worship because God is the only one worthy of worship. He knows his heart's always drawn back to worshiping God. No matter how stupid he is and what he does, he's always drawn back to God. And so I think you see that in the life of a believer that's filled with the Spirit. You know, they can do so many stupid things and act and say stupid things, but your heart's always drawn back to Christ. Yeah, that's significant, you know, and so, so I think you see, you consider the, the fruit of the spirit. I think you consider the idea that the way is very narrow, mm-hmm. right? It's not a broad way; it's a narrow way for for people who truly are bought by the blood of Christ. It's a narrow way, and as hard as it is to think that way, that applies to the church too. Right? That's not just this whole world. That is also the church. There are people in the church that do not know Jesus. They may say his name. They may buy all the books from Lifeway and wear all the T-shirts and go to all the camps and sing all the songs. They don't know Jesus. Yeah, they well, just don't. It, it reminds me so much of the Pharisees, and and I know nobody in the church would want to think of themselves that way. But when you think about this, you know, I remember uh, the story. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, and the guy that's been out there for years and years and years, and he and he he says, "Hey, what what's the deal here?" And he's like, "Well." Every time the water's stirred up, I, I can't get there. You know, somebody goes down and beats me to it. And and Jesus just looks at him and says, I mean, do you want to be healed? You know, he's he's like, okay, yeah, then get up to carry your bed and get out of here. So so the very next passage is the Pharisees see this, and they're talking to the guys like, hey, you're not supposed to be carrying your bed. This guy's been there for years. They knew. They knew who this guy was, and they're on his case because he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And so later... They, you know, and they said, who, who he told them, he's like, well, he told me to get up and get out of here. <laughs> you know, I'm healed and he healed me. And he said, well, who was it? Well, he had slipped into the crowd. So later they're at temple and the guy's there, the Pharisees are there and he points out Jesus. He's like, that's the guy that did it. And Jesus walks up and says, you good. You know, he talks to him for a second, but that's when they plotted, begin plotting to kill him. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. You look at this, like how in the world, uh, you know, these these are the spiritual leaders. These are the representatives of God in the nation of Israel, and they're trying to kill someone for healing somebody, for giving them life. And I, you know, so I look at that, and I look at our local church, and and not just local church, like it's not, it's a, it's Christianity in general. Because I think when you get people in there who are, um, they're not having a real walk. They're trying to what? They're trying to avoid hell. So they're not, they haven't fallen in love with Jesus. They're just trying to avoid hell. And so 
for them, it's about following the rules. And if you follow all the rules, then you get to avoid hell. Yeah. And so that comes out because it, to your point, man, it's, there's no fruit of the spirit in that. And, and I think this goes back to, you know, our expectations. We go to, go to a church or an environment where we have a lot of Christians and our expectations live in this space by default that, oh, this is going to be great. Right. I mean, a bunch of Christians are going to love me. And then, and that's not the case. But when we go to work at a radio station, you don't have that expectation. So all of a sudden when, you know, you may have 30 staffers there, when five of them really care about you, you're like, wow, because you didn't have that expectation. Yeah. Well, and, and so I just put together this devotion on gentleness the other day, mm. and I call it the Jesus and the War of Gentleness, because my idea was Jesus comes to this earth to wage this war of gentleness. It sounds crazy, but he could do anything to devastate and destroy everything in this world, all the powers and might and everything. He could he could wipe it all away, and he shows up in the form of this little baby, mm. this little baby from this this teenage mom who who wed this guy who's not actually the father physically, you know this crazy weird circumstance where he's like the lowliest of the lowly. Like he's, he's down there on the right hand, the social rank, you know, mm-hmm. and this is the savior of the whole world. And he comes in gentleness and we see him like, like the people recognize his gentleness. It doesn't matter if they, if they're not believers in, in the one true God, they recognize his gentleness. I mean, this woman wants to just reach out and just touch his job. She knows that his gentleness will win out over whatever she dealing with there's friends that are like willing to tear a hole in a guy's roof to get their friend down there because jesus is so gentle like he's gentle with everybody you yeah. know he's not harsh he's not but but we're in a world that is harsh and it's not gentle we're in, we're in this political cycle where it's it's harsh and it's not gentle we're in the church and it's harsh and it's not gentle but we see jesus as a as as an individual who is not self-seeking but he's looking at everybody else and he's caring for everybody else and he's loving everybody else and he's gentle towards everyone else and we are not that and you go to the church and you think well this is church people yeah. well they're supposed to be gentle they're supposed to be kind they're supposed to but in truth we know we're all sinners there right mm. so and i think it's tough for us for me as a pastor it i have to keep it in my mind to refresh my mind all the time this church is where the people who i know have problems willfully come to everybody else is out there doing their thing and i have to go to them but the church comes in here and we all attack each other in here, <laughs> right. but we still have to have like grace and, and mercy and compassion, like the kind that Jesus had. Yeah. So the church is basically like a cage match, right? <laughs> it, it's a steel cage match. Man. That's what it is. Yeah. Chairs and all, pews and all. Exactly. Well, here, here's the thing. So, you know, I hear you, as you and I talk through this, I feel this kindred spirit. We, we, we see this problem and, you know, for me personally, I look at it and I think, okay, well, that's great. You and I can see this and the vast majority of people that I've come across in my life, you know, a lot of them will also see this when we get in these one on one conversations. They're like, yes. And they and they spirit rises up in them. And then I, I think to myself, if this is the case, you know, why do we still have the state that we have? Why do we still live in this world? And and so I guess my question to you is, I mean, what do you think needs to happen in the local church to start making a shift of real authentic Christianity and loving one another as spiritual family should. So I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks and um, not this question because we haven't met yet, <laughs> right. but I've been thinking about this just because that's how God works in funny ways. Mm. And I think that, you know, what we see in America especially is that we are so blessed and we have such abundant uh, just, I, I mean, just resources. Right. And so I can get in my car and I can drive 3,000 miles over to California if I want. I can drive all over the place, however, whenever I want, I can do that because we have the resources. 
so at this time in in our in our existence we have the resources to pick who our church family is right i can go hang out with my buddies i can go find the coolest pastor the best worship band like i can go hang out with all the cool young people wherever they're at all the hip and happening people and take my family and have all the cool family fun things and everything um but i don't ever have to interact with my neighbors here mm. i don't i can get in my car and just drive away yeah and i don't have to know my neighbors names or what they're going through or even if they know jesus at all in the early church you don't see that they don't just hop in a car and go somewhere right. in the early church they live in their tiny little villages with each other and they know each other intimately because they have to to survive mm -hmm. but we no longer have that problem and the problem is kind of the solution i think right Right. Like their problem back then might be our solution. Like we travel outside of the people we're supposed to know and care about and love. And we go to other people and say, well, we love and know and care about those people. That's not your community, folks. Mm. It's not. You say, well, I have a heart for my community. My church is 30 minutes away. <laughs> what? Right. That's not your community. Your community is when your garage door opens and you look around and see who's there. Mm -hmm. Right. That's your community. And so I, I, I have found that in the church to be true in, in my own experience that that a lot of folks you know, cry out, what's the solution? Why can't we reach people? Why can't whatever? It's like, you don't even live here. Like you, you drive 20, 30 minutes to even come hang out with us here. Yeah. You don't even live in the community where the church is. And so, so I think that a lot of times it's that kind of, I mean, I don't know if even that's an answer to your question, but I think we see authenticity when we care in that kind of way. And we care in that kind of way when we are invested in it. Right. Yeah. So I'm invested in the community and the neighborhood that I live in. If I go 30 minutes away, I'm not as invested in that neighborhood. I can say it and I can try to be, mm -hmm. but I come home and I put my head on this pillow here at night, not 30 minutes away from here. Yeah. And I think what you're touching on is, is, is hugely important. When, when my, uh, one of my sons, um, I, I never wanted to make my, you know, I was concerned because my kids are growing up as pastor's kids and I've heard the stories, you know, I got, I got in my relationship with Jesus for the first time at, at 16. So I didn't grow up in church at all. And I kept thinking, man, I don't want my kids to be resentful and all those other things. So, um, so I never made them go to church. Once they got to the point where they're old enough, I, I was like, I'm not going to make you go to youth group or whatever. Um, I mean, they came to Sunday morning, but they didn't have to go to youth or these extra things. And so I wanted them to want to go. And one of my sons said, you know, he didn't want to go. Well, he's not a real social guy. So I, I knew that was a playing into it to some degree because they had switched from a big service vibe to a small group thing. And I thought, well, He's not going to like that. <laughs> and so in any case, uh, I was talking with him about it. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't, my stance of not making him go, I still want to do that, but I really want him to go. And, and so he said, I just don't get anything out of it. And I said, well, son, it's not about what you get out of it. It's about what you give to it. And I think to me, that's one of the big things when you talk about people driving 30 minutes away or whatever, they, they find something that they want, what they're looking for. Now, if and I and I don't want to be too critical of that from this standpoint of, um, you know, it's important that you're a part of a body that's that's efforting to be authentic and real and and do the work that God set forth. If you're um, if you're just going somewhere that you know is teaching messages that are definitely contrary to to the message of the gospel, then that's an issue. But there are plenty of churches all over that are preaching the gospel, the good news, and so I think that when people are so fixated. Um, on on that 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 they're going it's selfish they're selfishly motivated and they're looking for you know I was just talking with a guy the other day and I brought this up a couple times recently I think it just was a a God analogy but you know when you go looking for a car uh, we we take for granted the car is going to run 
right? You go in, you're looking for lane assist, you're looking for, you know, adaptive cruise control, navigation, all these bells and whistles. And so you're talking to the salesman about that. When you go to a church, you take for granted that the truth is taught. You take for granted that the foundation is Christ. So you start asking, what's your kids' ministry like? What's your youth ministry like? You know, I, I have a podcast called The Spiritually Wounded, and I talk with people who've left the church. I talk with pastors who've experienced people leaving the church with their hurts. And what I keep asking people is, what are they looking for in church? And I've, I've asked now four or five people in my last several episodes, and they've all basically given me the same answer. They've all said that they're looking for, in some form or fashion, authenticity, being genuine. They want to have a safe place to ask questions that are challenging, and they're not going to be judged for it and thrown out. And, and they want real relationships, family. And, and I, I, you know, in our world, you and I can probably relate to this greatly. You know, they didn't say, I want a good kids ministry. I want great preaching and the music's got to be off the hook. They didn't say that. But but we've majored on those things. We want, so we've majored on nav system, adaptive cruise control, power windows, whatever. And we've said, this is what's important. And the people who are a part of it, that's not important to them at all. Those are fringe benefits. They want the core. They want the meat. They want what's real. And we've just abandoned that. And I think, I think we've got to get, we got to turn that tide. We've got to change our focus, our motivation and our intent to see, um, to see a change in, in the culture, if you will. Well, yeah. And I think too, so, um, yes, we can, we can look for all the things we want and go travel to those things and whatever we can say, but you know, around here where I live at, it's just, they're talking crazy. They teach crazy things. It's just all, it's a mess. Or there's no churches around here, whatever. That may be God saying, Hey Moses, yeah, wake up Moses in your own community. Wake up Moses. It's yeah. your turn. It's, it, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. God's got something for you to do in his kingdom. He's yeah. got something for you to do. You've got a job. And so I think it's, we, what we don't want is we don't, well, I don't want people in my heart. Mm-hmm. I don't want people in my life. I don't want people in my business. Right. I want to go find those things that I like and I want to go to those things and I may help out. Maybe I'll bake it. Maybe I'll bake something for the bake off or maybe I'll come to help with the local whatever, with the youth group and yada, yada. But I don't want them in my life. Right. Mm. I don't want them to be able to speak into my life when I do something wrong and they can see it because they're so close to me and they correct me spiritually. And they you know what I mean? That spiritual discipline. I don't want that. (laughs) <laughs> and it's so easy for us to push that away. Please stay further away because I just want what I want. Don't come inside this bubble of mine. I don't like that. I don't want that. And that that leaves us stagnant. We don't grow. We don't mature in our spirit, right? We don't mature at all in that. And so uh, the local churches are a mess because of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, we're all a mess because of it. We've learned to just like pacify ourselves and not not open ourselves up to, to anything else. And, and that's who we are. You know, that's, that's why we struggle so bad. I think. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I think, I think the first step in really making that adjustment is, is one, having these kind of conversations and then two, encouraging people and, 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 uh, blessing people who move forward to try to make change and then be change ourselves. That's just bottom line. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're, you're like, amening the truth here. You're like, yeah, let's do this. Man, take that next step. Take that next step to be active. And I love that. Be Moses in your community. You're, and I agree. You know, as I was even saying that, I was like, well, really, they should just fix it there. <laughs> you know. But, um, well, man, uh, we just got a few minutes left here. And, uh, man, t- tip of the iceberg, that is for sure. But that's the case of most of my conversations because I'm a talker. And, you know, hopefully we get into good stuff. But, um, you know, in this moment, you're going to be... Um, your story here, what we've talked about to this point, 
a lot of people who you've never, ever met are going to hear this. And with that in mind, what, what would be one thing you'd want them to take away that, that, you know, one message, one thing that means the most to you that you'd like to say to them? Uh, whether, whatever you're going through, right. Whether it's losing a kid, like we have, whether it's cancer, like I'm dealing with right now. And honestly, I feel fine. Right. I, we just, about three weeks ago, I got this diagnosis. And so mm. I actually don't feel bad. I think it's been more an emotional and a mental toll on me because mm. I know I don't supposed to feel worse or something. You know what I mean? It's like people are treating me like, well, we got to help you. We got to take this off. You know, I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like I feel the same, but, but it is, I mean, it's, it's still a deadly disease I'm fighting. Right. right. And, and I think that whether it's losing a kid or a disease coming at you or whatever it is, losing a job or, you know, the bills are staring you down, whatever it is, God is good. Mm. God is still good find where God is good, right? Like look for God's goodness. And if you can't see God's goodness, you're wound up too much in something like your head's wound up in something too much. And you got to be able to pull back and see God's goodness around you. God is blessing you in so many ways. He blesses us in so many ways The the martyrs, right? Mm. <laughs> the martyrs are like walking to their deaths and they're going, I'm going to sing, I'm going to sing hymns right now. God still blessed me in a million ways before I even get here to my death. Mm. Right? Like, I mean, we see that with tons of accounts of, of of people that see God in his goodness and they go, it doesn't matter what else is coming at me. If I don't exist right now, that's okay. God's still good. Yeah. You yeah. know, if my heart is broken, that's okay. Cause God is still good and find that and run to that consistency that God is faithful always. And he is good. Always run to him, whatever that looks like in your life, run to him. Mm. Amen, man, Adam, I, I so appreciate you coming on this podcast and, and visiting with me. It's been a blessing. And I know it's been a blessing to those who've listened and, uh, and just know we've got everyone who's listening. I know the for sure those that listen that are believers are going to be praying for you. And uh, and I am uh, I'm grateful to have had this time with you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Good to meet you, Jim. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. And uh, I just want to thank you all for listening in and joining us on the podcast. As usual, um, it is always a good time. Uh, as we dive into conversations with people we hardly ever know and uh, and nobody you know generally knows unless they're in our own circle so again thanks for joining us and uh, we will see you next time. Okay.